This is the Birth Village Podcast. Welcome back to the Birth Village Podcast. I'm Morgan Brower. I have Trisha with me today. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. We have got a big old episode for you guys today. <laughs> it we're so tired. We're, we're so, so tired. tired. <laughs> We've been preparing for this like crazy. This is uh, has been a big passion project a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned last week in the episode that we are having kind of a special month. March is Women's History Month, and we felt like it was a good time to talk about the history of childbirth. And then what happened is that we fell into a big old rabbit hole. (laughs) We're still in it. We're still in it. (laughs) And we have clawed our way out to bring this episode to you guys and just share the surfacey level stuff of what we have come up with Mm -hmm. because it's a lot. Um, Huge shout out to Trish because she's done a lot of the (laughs) preparation for this and I get to ride her coattails a tiny bit. Um, But... It's just such a lot of information that we don't even want to do ads in this episode, but I did want to, um, we're going to shout out a lot of the resources that we have used to prepare ourselves for this. And one of those resources specifically is the business of being born a documentary that is put out by the company is just the business of, and their website is the business of dot life. They've got lots of documentaries. They've got documentaries about birth control and then multiple documentaries about birth. And the information that they have is just so awesome. And we reached out to them to see if they would give us a coupon code to let all of our listeners watch their documentaries for free. Typically, you'd rent it for like $14 and you'd be able to watch it unlimited for about 30 days. But because they're so amazing and they believe in spreading this message just like we do they have given us the coupon code birth village so if you go to our show notes or go to our instagram or whatever and go to their website if you go to rent the documentary that you want to watch you can put in the coupon code birth village and watch it for free which is a really 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 big deal and you guys you need to go see it Mm -hmm. please 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 go watch these documentaries because they're awesome and they have a great information. Yeah, they put that first one out in 2008, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge helper for me when I decided uh, years and years ago to do home birth. And and I still recommend it to all of my students mm-hmm. to watch this documentary because it's very insightful. It's like an hour and a half, but the way that they dive into the history is like so amazing that you definitely want to watch this. You definitely, definitely do. So there's at least two of us telling you how much you need to go watch (laughs) this. Again, that code is birth village and you can find their website through us in multiple different ways. Check the show notes, check our Instagram, check their Instagram. I don't know. It's, it's in a lot of places. Okay. (laughs) Uh, birth village. And then we've got lots of other books and articles that we have pulled information from. And so we'll link those in the show notes as well. And without further ado, will you tell us why, and and then I'll go after, Okay. but tell us why you feel like this is important information to share. 
Well, when Morgan asked me to to talk about the history, um, specifically in March because it's Women's History Month, I think that it's so important for us to recognize history. We cannot blot it out because history is always going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And so um, in my job, and I was just telling this to Morgan earlier, um, birth is very controversial. Birth is very opinionated. Yeah, Everyone has an opinion and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. In fact, next week we're going to be hopefully myth-busting a ton of non-truths that <laughs> we have been told or that we've told ourselves about birth. However, I think it's very important to know the history of why we have these beliefs. Mm-hmm. And Morgan and I obviously have big opinions on things, <laughs> and we're going to try to not only use our opinion, but actual, you know, dates and times and, and facts of when things started happening, but... The underlying thing that I wanted women to understand is we are the ones in control. We always have been, Mm -hmm. whether we recognize that that or not. Now, control is a a very slippery word because we want to be in control of our bodies and control of our lives or blah, blah, blah. But because of certain circumstances or where we live or who we are or where we grew up, our choices are very limited we have control over those choices. But when it comes to childbirth, the woman is always the one asking for something, unless there's a medical reason why she needs that, then her doctor or nurse or midwife is going to say, you need this because of this medical thing. And then obviously it's not your choice anymore. But um, I truly believe we are our own creators when it comes to our health. Mm -hmm. And whether we believe it is our choice or not, ladies, I'm here to tell you it is. Yeah. And if we don't believe that it's our choice, if we have a sickness or we have an issue, it's just because we don't know enough about it. So we need to really dive into that issue and find out why gestational diabetes is something that our body just continues to get when we're pregnant. Mm. Or that was just one example. Yeah. And how can we fix ourselves? Because it's truly within ourselves. So that is our control. But sometimes we don't want to control the situation and we want to hand it over to someone else and that's okay too. Yeah. You know, we just need to understand the consequences of our choices. Mm-hmm. And so I just want every woman to understand she is con- in control whether she wants to take it or not. She can hand that right over. And that's in your power to hand it over. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And that's most of the time, how a doctor OB would rather you do he or she does not want you to have the information um, because they don't want you to be the one calling the shots they want to call the shots because they think they know more but no they don't actually not about you Mm. they know a lot about the overall picture of labor and delivery but they don't know about you Mm -hmm. and so you need to know about you Mm-hmm. in order to truly make that decision and then to accept the consequences that come. Because when a woman walks in and gives all of her power away, um, nine times out of ten, she's going to walk out of that experience going, I didn't like that at all. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't have done that. Or, man, that sucked. Or, it doesn't feel good to lose your control. No, it doesn't. And then because of consequences, you know, maybe we didn't know that because we got an induction 
we're going to end up in a C-section. We didn't know that that was a consequence, but we just took that chance because we trusted the doctor saying, it's fine. Didn't you read the Rife study? It's totally fine. Mm -hmm. 39 weeks, we can do this. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we don't realize what we're giving our power to, but I guess that's what I wanted women to understand is you have all the power here. Mm -hmm. And through understanding history, then maybe we can understand more of our power. Yeah. Every choice that we make has a certain set of consequences that are going to come with it. Yes. So, you know, if you, if the choice that you make about your birth is that you want to have it at home, okay, there are consequences that come along with that. And Mm -hmm. you should be informed about those consequences. Like the consequences are part of informed consent. Right. And unfortunately we're not always fully informed. Right. So that's always our, our goal mm-hmm. always is to inform so that women can be in control. And if you choose to give up your control, that's okay. You right. can choose that. But did you understand all of the consequences that came along with that choice when you made it? If you did, wonderful. I have nothing to say. That's mm-hmm. amazing. You right. were informed. If you don't, I feel a little bit sad because you didn't understand. Right. You didn't understand the consequences of the choice that you made. And, and that's hard. Right. And it feels crappy. And that's when trauma happens. Yes. And we use that term pretty lightly, especially yeah. us in the United States. <laughs> and we have everything that we could possibly deserve to have and 10 times more. And the other thing is that we have come so far from like, well, I mean, people have been being born since forever, literally right. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's even just talk about like the 1800s, the 1700s. We've come so far since then. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of really beautiful things at our fingertips that we have access to. So mm-hmm. many more choices now than than what people used to have. Right. The thing is, is that all of these interventions that we have now and that we have access to and that we are able to choose, they were created because of problems, right? They were created as uh, the fix to a certain problem. So clear back when we were having a lot of people die from childbirth and from uncleanliness and, and different things like that. And so we, created the fixes to those problems. I think what has happened and and this is a reoccurring thing in society is that the pendulum has swung the other direction. So we used to have all of these problems and now we're at a place where sometimes we're creating problems because of the things that we were doing to try to fix the initial problem. Yes. And hopefully we can land somewhere in the middle. The thing is, is that we cannot land in the middle unless we understand the entirety of what's going on. Exactly. So we're just trying to understand. We're Mm -hmm. digging into history to go, why are we at where we're at today? What's all the background information and how can we land in the middle so that we can have the best possible outcomes? Because those are always in the middle. Right. Yes. So. Okay. So. With that being said. (laughs) With that being said. (laughs) So starting just really quickly in the 1700s, there's information telling us that men were forbidden in birth by law. Um, all births back then were obviously at home. There was no hospitals to be had. There was not OBs back then either. No, There was no. midwives. Yeah, there were midwives. There were doctors that took care of other, I mean, obviously there's lots of things that doctors were used for back then. But yeah. 
not specifically for childbirth. Yeah. So a doctor would be called in if things went definitely the wrong way. And then he would take care of the life and death death situations that were going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and then it wasn't even until, well, the first recorded practices of, um, painkillers being used in childbirth was in 1853. Queen Victoria got to use chloroform for the first time that's recorded. Now I'm sure that these things were happening before most of the things, um, that, happened in medicine happened in Europe, obviously, First. because they were the more civilized um, place, you know, people in America at the, that time, you know, we were living on the plains, you mm-hmm. know, we were um, just, you know, we we're camping. So these people <laughs> <laughs> lived in houses, they had doctors, um, they had medicine. Okay, so, so Queen Victoria got to use the chloroform. And then um, it started being talked about it's specifically in royal families. These were the births being attended by doctors. Um, there were midwives there too. And it was really luxurious and expensive. Yes, very expensive to have a doctor there, to have medicine there. So that's kind of you know where things started. And then in the 1900s, especially in America, when things started becoming more quote-unquote civilized mm-hmm. because... I truly believe this is all just a perspective of what civilized means. Yeah. Because I think there were so many things that we missed out on because of quote unquote uncivilized people, Mm -hmm. what they were doing Um, for, for one, I mean the Mexican Rebozo Mm -hmm. Mexican midwives created this to help and assist in childbirth. And there was probably no doctors or anything around these women were desperate to find ways to make sure every woman made it through their childbirth and their baby survived as well. So there were very uncivilized, like I said, I'm quoting that, um, civilizations that were, they were nailing this thing. Yeah. You know, they knew exactly what to do. They were surrounded by people. And maybe in some places up in mountains or whatever, they weren't. And they were just figuring it out as they went, you mm-hmm. know. So, you know, um, re- one of the bottom line things that I found in all of this, um, research, and we're going to go back to the 1900s, I promise, but mm-hmm. there was always an underlying society that was doing childbirth the way Morgan and I believe childbirth should be happening, yeah. you know, very natural, very undisturbed births, physiological having attendance there that know things, but not necessarily doing anything unless something needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always people doing this, no matter where you lived, no matter how civilized or uncivilized the people were, they were having birth the way I believe God intended birth to be happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was always happening. Okay. That I think that something to mention too, is that labels can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. If we label, you know, old Europe as civilized, which Mm -hmm. was back then they Mm -hmm. were what Mm -hmm. was called civilized. And we label these Mexican midwives as uncivilized just because of their house looks different than the Royal castle. 
then you look at them and you go, oh, well, they're uncivilized. That's so dirty. That's so ancient. That's so blah, blah, blah. And look at this. Now we have medicine and it's so posh and we can pay lots of money to have a male doctor there. Mm -hmm. We never stop to ask if we should do that. Right. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened in the 30s, 40s, and 50s Mm -hmm. is all of this civilization that was coming from Europe made women believe that they needed to be more quote-unquote civilized and head on into the hospital. Mm -hmm. And this is when things really went south for our women. Now, with that being said, Mm -hmm. I'm not taking away that, yes, women and babies were dying before hospitals. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. But the fact is they still are, okay? So, but they're dying for different reasons. And especially when the hospitals started up, I mean... 40% of the patients were dying from bed fever is what they called it. And it was only because of germs that doctors were passing back and forth between Mm -hmm. patients and they didn't know anything about it yet. Yeah. And so, you know, that type of death was not happening in a home birth situation. There was another reason for that birth to, you know, for someone to be dying, but um, the rates didn't really change, which was, yeah concerning very concerning we solved one problem but we immediately created a new one yes yes so with that being said um in the 1900s things started happening so in the business of being born i love the stats that they give the 1900s 90 or 1900 95 percent of all births were at home in 1938 50 were still at home 50 percent in the hospital and by 1955, less than 1% <laughs> was happening at home. They were all happening in the hospital. And also, I think it's valuable to mention that the United States was the only place where midwives did not follow into the hospital. Mm-hmm. All, in all of the European countries, midwives did go into the hospital mm-hmm and help with deliveries there was male physicians there as well and i'm not saying i'm not trying to be feminist by this but (laughs) females were not allowed to be right obese okay so it's not because they didn't want to they there were no female doctors Mm -hmm. of any sort Mm -hmm. back then and midwives were looked down upon they were shamed they were Mm -hmm. there was articles that would go out in the newspaper that said, oh, this is so dirty and disgusting. Mm -hmm. Why would you have your baby at home? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so because of our civilization, these midwives did not follow into the hospital where in other countries, for some reason they did because, um, and this is where the term a certified nurse midwife, because they kind of turned into the nurse. Mm -hmm. The nurse was taking care of all of the needs, just like today, (laughs) all of the needs of the laboring woman and then delivering, I mean, catching babies, we, we, we will say terms like the mother is the one who delivers her baby and whoever is in the room catches the baby. So just so you know, I will differentiate between that because I feel like we let our power go and we say someone else delivered our baby. No one yeah. delivered your baby but you. Yeah. There was an attendant there, a nurse, a doctor, or a midwife, and they did catch your baby which we're thankful for them, but you are the one with all of the power in your delivery. Mm -hmm. They cannot take that away from you. So please stop saying that. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, um, 
yeah, so they this term nurse midwife became because they were more of the nurse and they would call the doctor in, like I said, if there was a circumstance where this baby wasn't coming out in an mm-hmm. easy way and then the doctor would be called in. So um, that's where it all started. But like I said, in the United States, the midwives did not go into the hospital, okay? For whatever because, reason. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but we know birth definitely follows money. And the business of being born is termed the business of because business means money and they were making some money and kids, they still are today. They are making so much money over there. And that's not to say that every single doctor is so money hungry that that's all they care about, but it would be ignorant to not acknowledge how much money is being made. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm by all of these things that we're doing and by all of the interventions that we do. Right. And it's not even the doctors really. No, it's the hospital, the the business, the system. Yes. It's, it's the resource team on the back end that are requiring all of these things to be happening. They're making a lot of money over there. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely was a money thing that started all this. Like these doctors came in and was like, Whoa, this is a pretty easy procedure and we could make some money Mm -hmm. and if we add some drugs on top of that then money more money yeah and then we add nurses and we're gonna stay have you stay in the hospital for 10 days and we're gonna have your baby in the nursery which causes more ways to make money and so causing more problems that we have to fix right pay pay to fix exactly so it really did i mean our perspective today we look back at that and go that doesn't make any sense, you know, like why would they, why would they do that or, you know, but just, just understand that it wasn't, their perspective was very different. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's very easy for us to draw a huge question mark in our mind and say, why did that happen? And I think that's why we're doing this episode today. We can do that about a lot of the history. Yes. Yeah. Like not even. Yeah. yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, it doesn't make any sense today, Yeah, but it sure made a lot of sense back then, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially because of the cultural things that were happening. Yeah. You know, like, um, just women having to be fully covered during their birth. I mean, Christianity had a huge part of what shaped childbirth because childbirth is a very, sexual thing I guess if you can say and they tried to take all of that away including Mm -hmm. having not letting their partner be in the room with them yeah you know because um Christianity said that you were dirty um I recently had a friend tell me that her grandma called her period the bad blood (gasps) really because yeah because her mom taught her that it was bad and girls it was like a punishment yeah, or something yeah and because of you know what happened in the garden of eden you know eve's curse yeah. they would tell women was because her curse was childbirth and this is not true at all well we i believe that's not true yeah i don't believe god i believe in god and i do not believe that he cursed sent, us no in fact he thinks we're really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's why he gave this to us because this is a life altering experience in a woman's life. And it's a huge opportunity for growth and learning. And yes. that's why I believe we're here on earth mm-hmm. is to have this opportunity to become 
something that we weren't before. Yeah. And that's a mother. And we have to pass through a very, very hard place to become that. Mm -hmm. Now, hard being relative. Mm -hmm. We heard Morgan's birth story last week and she talked about how it wasn't pain. It was just pressure. And it, and then you'll talk to someone else that says that that was the worst pain in their whole life, you know? So your perspective and your perception is very, very different according to whatever knowledge you have in your mind. Mm -hmm. Your mind is very powerful. So anyway, with that being said, you know, it, that underlying thing that women have always been the ones in charge, we're the ones allowing that control to happen. We didn't have the full story. Maybe we still don't even have the full story, right. but um, I think we're we're definitely getting somewhere. Well, mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to. Anyway. We're trying to. So trying to make some waves. Well, and the other thing is, I think going back to uh, when we started with the pain relief with the chloroform, uh, women have always been scared of the pain of childbirth and I think even today that is one of the biggest things is people are scared of the pain and like you said our brains are so powerful that we can convince them otherwise we can Mm -hmm. convince our brain that hey this isn't pain but that is that is why we are giving away our power yes because we're scared of the pain right we're afraid of what's going to happen and then we're also afraid of all these horror stories that we've heard Mm -hmm. because they're what we've heard and they're what we know. Right. So there's, there's different, there's different ways. There's a, and like Trisha said too, there's always, always, always been this community of people that is doing it like how Trisha and I do it. Right. There's always been this community of people that goes, Oh, I don't mm-hmm. have my baby at home. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that it's less than 1%. Right. <laughs> and so why is that? And let's talk about it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I truly believe it was fear. And especially back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, they didn't have a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And maybe their moms, I mean, it, it it's different with every culture and every civilization, obviously. But it seems as though this good information, because... things were looked at as bad or naughty Mm -hmm. and they couldn't even say the word vagina. Mm. They couldn't even say the word pregnant. Even my mother-in-law would tell me stories about she couldn't say the word pregnant. Really? Yeah. And you know, she would be in her eighties today, you know, so that's, you know, not very long ago, she could not say the word pregnant. So this thing that was happening to women was not even allowed to be talked to or talked about. So we would just believe that we had to go into the hospital and have a doctor take care of us, this thing that's happening in our body, but we just didn't have any information about it. So whether we knew we were giving our power away. Yeah. So that's a very interesting perspective to look at. Yeah. Imagine living in that time where that's the narrative. Mm-hmm. This is a scary thing. Mm-hmm. This is a dirty thing. Mm-hmm. This is a punishment. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, we're not really going to talk about it and we're not going to tell you about it. So right. then obviously you're going to go into it scared out of your mind. Right. So and you're going to say, give me the drugs that will make me not remember this because I don't remember. I don't want to remember this scary, painful naughty thing that my body is about to do. Yeah. You know, so it makes sense, you know, so we can't sit here and go, why would they do that? Because it, it just, 
they didn't have any idea that there was another way. Mm-hmm. At least the majority, the majority, of the there was always that one percent. Yeah, living their best life out in the field. So, so bring me back to like the early 1900s. So we talked about the queen, <laughs> and then where are we going from there? So women started finding out that they didn't have to fill this, and so the the drugs started becoming a thing. Now, in all of the books and research that I found. Um, doctors weren't super excited about this stuff because they were seeing results that weren't very positive because of these drugs. But these women didn't care. They were like demanding. Yes, I want it because they read stories about um, like specific women that were very vocal. You know, this was when feminism was really happening in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to vote. We wanted to hold a job, you know, and then these very popular women were coming out in published articles saying, I went into the hospital at 7 p.m. and they gave me some medicine Mm -hmm. and I went to sleep and at 7 a.m. in the morning, they walked in with my beautiful baby boy, you know, and like, that sounds pretty dreamy. Honestly, that sounds pretty nice. (laughs) Yeah, You go to sleep, you wake up with a baby. (laughs) Right, right. And then their husband would come pick them up in about 10 days. Yeah. (laughs) And in that time, they were being treated, well, the women that were typically white and had money were being treated very well. You know, they were being taken care of. They were being brought food. Their baby was being taken care of, you know, and they were quote unquote healing in this very positive experience. So this word was getting out that this was an option. And when you didn't know anything else, then you're like, yeah, sign me up for that one. Mm -hmm. You know? And like Trisha said, these were white wealthy women. Yes. That were, had these options available to them. Right. Cause it didn't look so great for anybody else. No, no. So women, um, we don't, we don't have, I couldn't find even histories very readily available on like, um, black women and where they lived mm-hmm. and what who they were using for a doctor or midwife mm-hmm. you know it's very hard to find because it wasn't recorded a lot yeah. and if it was it didn't get continued to repeated yeah okay like history and it, it's very very important I would love it would give anything to know about mm-hmm. their history and to witness maybe some of the things they went through because they were probably part of that underlying society that knew a lot of really great things Mm -hmm. and they were actually having pretty amazing experiences, but no one really knows to talk about them. So with that being said, you know, when (laughs) Morgan said it's a rabbit hole, it's like the deepest rabbit hole that I've ever (laughs) jumped into because it's, it's hard to find all of the history. And so the main histories that we're finding is specific white women, um, in more um, expensive neighborhoods that yeah. had money. They had husbands making a lot of money and mm-hmm. they were being taken care of in a way that they thought was best. But I mean, we're obviously finding out it wasn't so good. And why was that? So we just discussed what's called the twilight sleep mm-hmm. method of delivery, right. which is where you go to sleep, you wake up, you have your baby. Mm-hmm. And then behind the scenes... It ain't so pretty. No. So no one was allowed back with these women when they were getting this twilight sleep. They were brought back um, and 
basically blindfolded and um, tied down to beds Mm -hmm. until it was babies were imminent to arrive. The nurses would kind of go in and out. But can you imagine if you've had a baby and if you've had a baby unmedicated, um, you know exactly what it, it feels like and maybe where your body went. So these women were feeling all of that, but they were drugged in a way that they couldn't remember, but their body was doing all the same things. Mm-hmm. So they looked very out of control, which they were. And well, so their, their body's craving movement, their yes. body's craving to sit up, but they're yes. tied down right. and they're going through all of these things mm-hmm. and not in their right mind because they're right. drugged out of their right, right mind. Well, before they got the drugs, um, in the 1940s, the women were in large maternity wards where they were told to keep quiet. Oh. And most of these rooms didn't have windows. So they were stuck in this room. They would have routine enemas and shaving. And then they um, just waited for their labor to get hard enough where they could give them to the drug to put them to sleep. Mm. So they were going through a lot of this on their own mm. or with maybe a nurse that was maybe nice or maybe not nice. Um, we don't know for sure, but I'm sure, I mean, we've all experienced both of those things in this day and age. So I'm sure it was happening back then. Yeah. Um, anyways, so then they were, you know, kept for about 10 days or so after, I guess it would probably de- depend on the hospital or what was going on. I'm sure that it was different everywhere, but some of the research I read was saying that. So one of the things that was happening to these women that were doing the, the twilight sleep method of, of delivery is that you don't remember this drug that you take that allows you to fall asleep and then have your baby and miraculously wake up and whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't remember what you went through. Mm -hmm. It erased your memory. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, went through this crazy thing. You're laboring, you're tied down. It's awful. You're told to shut up and be quiet. And then you forget, you Mm -hmm. literally forget all of that. Mm -hmm. You wake up with a baby in your arms and that seems great. Right. But then we're learning that it's maybe not so great. Right. And we've got some people that are coming forward to, to study this and to Mm -hmm. go, okay, well, birth outcomes were not looking very well. Yeah. That's the other thing. The baby was, um, not doing well because a lot of these deliveries had to use instruments like forceps. So babies were coming out very injured. Mm -hmm. In fact, this is when the vitamin K shot became a thing because these babies were so injured by birth that babies aren't born with vitamin K for a lot of different reasons. Um, In a normal birth, they, in my opinion, do not need that. But when there's an instrument helping a baby be born, there's damage to the baby. And so there could be internal bleeding, which they need vitamin K to clot the blood inside Mm -hmm. their body. So this is when the vitamin K shot became a thing like saving babies' lives because of these instrument type of deliveries. Mm -hmm. So that's still the thing today, by the way, but that's a whole nother (laughs) rabbit hole. We'll go down another day. So, um, so yeah, they were finding that, um, you know, we would hear these beautiful stories about women saying it was so great, but then these outcomes were not good and women and babies were dying and husbands didn't know why. And so doctors were just saying it it happens in childbirth. It's been Mm -hmm. happening for a millennia in childbirth. Women die, which in in some ways is, it it is true. true. Yeah. So they were able to say, Oh, it was just complications in childbirth. And, um, and, and you know, that that's even true today. Yeah. You know, so, so there was not a lot of 
emphasis being taken on let's make that stop until some specific doctors did start coming forward. Like when, and when is that? In 1944, when Dr. Dick Reed was the one that published the bir- the book Childbirth Without Fear. So I'm sure it was in the early 40s that he started this, you know, like research, research and, and figuring out. Um, in in 1965 was when Dr. Bradley um, writes Husband Coach Childbirth, but it was in the 50s that he started doing his research on it. So, mm. I mean, research takes 10 plus years to yeah. figure out. And so in the 50s, he started saying, you know, I teach at the Bradley Method still to this day, and I, I talk about him. And Dr. Bradley was raised on a farm. He watched mammals give birth. And then he went in to be a doctor and was witnessing this twilight sleep type deliveries. And he was like, whoa, this this is is scary. Not (laughs) how mammals are supposed to birth. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a lot of people trying to make movements toward, Hey, let's get out of these medical practices. But the full thing about this is, is there's so much money being made Mm -hmm. and so many doctors on and hospitals on this money train that why would they ever be like, oh yeah, Dr. Bradley, you're actually right. <laughs> Let's just let these women do what they're going to do. And, you know, in 5% of all births, I believe we'll need some sort of intervening or medical help. We'll just step in at those 5% and let the 95% of all the other women just mm-hmm. birth the way their body was intended. That's never going to happen. And the women aren't letting it happen. No. Cause no. like you said before, the women are in control. Right. And they're scared. Yep. And they want the help. Right. No matter what trauma happens, mm-hmm. no matter what traumatic birth story they hear, they say, well, I don't want to feel that. So mm-hmm. just do whatever you're going to do. And, or I don't want to be pregnant past 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. So could you please get this thing mm-hmm. taken care of please and it comes back to the consequences mm-hmm. yeah we can get it taken care of because medically that's available to us what mm-hmm. are the consequences of it exactly yeah exactly so so yeah dr bradley started his stuff you know the 50s and six in 65 came out with this whole program you know to help people learn mm-hmm. is still happening today i mean there's thousands of bradley method instructors yeah across the country is natural childbirth teachers, yeah. hypnobirthing, hypnobabies, so many different realms of teaching women how to deal with this pain. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to how am I going to deal with this pain? Because I want all the beautiful things surrounding it, mm-hmm. but tell me how I'm going to get through this pain without having to get the drugs. Yeah. So, um, and then it was in the seventies that Ina Mae Gaskin mm-hmm. just came out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. with all of her ideals and the farm and her training hundreds of midwives and birth workers to understand the physiological labor and how beautiful it can be. Mm -hmm. You know, so these outliers at, at this point were bringing up like, hey, this is actually really good for you guys to understand. And the age of information starts happening. Okay. So, um, 
but with that being said, it was always kind of the quote unquote crunchy or hippies <laughs> or weirdos mm-hmm. or in fact, I was telling Morgan this earlier today too. When people used to come to my Bradley Method class before Instagram, you know, and you could you could totally see me and my family and my husband and all of my life for the last 10 years on my Instagram, right? Like you already know what I'm going to look like when you come to my class. Yeah. But when I first started teaching 16 years ago, we didn't have that. Right. And people would walk into my class and they'd be like, wait, you're the teacher. You look really normal. Yeah. Like, uh huh. Yeah. I'll wear my hippie skirt next week if you really want me to, cause I have a few of them, but yeah, I'm a totally normal person that is preaching natural childbirth to you. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be just the outliers of the society Mm -hmm. that want a different experience with their birth because we're all human women that deserve more from our body and we deserve to know more. And like I said before, it's our God-given right Mm -hmm. to feel this and to go through this process because he needs us to. Yeah. Once you start learning about these things too, I think that for most women, there is something inside of you that, that pings a little. It's like, that sounds true. That mm-hmm. seems true. It feels true. And whether or not they decide to, to go that way mm-hmm. and go the natural way or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, there, you can't help but be intrigued right? Yeah. because it's, I don't know, it's your intuition. Right. Yeah. So you'll, um, you'll hear hear people talk about like they put on their birth plan, like no episiotomy, no this, no that. Well, we don't really need to do that these days because those things aren't happening anymore because of the movement that's been happening in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. for women, like birth in the hospital today compared to when I was birthing in the hospital is so different. Wildly different. Yes. So because of in the forties, when these women were totally knocked out, this is when the episiotomy became a thing Mm -hmm. and the forceps were used so much because Mm -hmm. these women physically could not push out their baby and they needed to make a wider opening in order for the forcep delivery to not be so traumatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, it's taken, you know, in the 1940s, this became a thing in all the textbooks where, where doctors were learning about how to deliver. Um, they were trained in this way of delivery. Yeah. And, and like I said before, Dr. Bradley started in the fifties and it took him until almost the seventies for his information to really come to light, whether they were listening to it or not. Cause even then there wasn't a ton of people listening. Mm-mm, it was no. still that lower, like 1% or less of people that are going, Oh, Dr. Bradley has some really good stuff to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They didn't want to hear it. No, cause because it's scary. It is scary. Cause that's the narrative you're told right. that it's scary. Yes. Yeah. And the doctors believe that too. Mm-hmm. And I, I will definitely put all of my faith in a doctor who's seen so much, mm-hmm. but in so seeing all of that, it almost blurs your perspective mm-hmm. on what childbirth actually is. So they are walking into a birth room thinking a b and c could go wrong Mm -hmm. at any point but a a mother birthing physiologically is saying those things aren't happening to me because i'm fine yeah my body's doing what it should be doing we don't need that stuff but because they've been trained intensively and they've seen so much they want to make sure that they're going to fix a problem before it even starts yeah so that's where all this intervening really 
has come. And, you know, coming back to those episiotomies and forceps deliveries are not happening nearly like they were 20 years ago. Um, you know, it's because women have said, Hey, yeah, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And the studies, the more women that became obese, Mm -hmm. um, and I was saying this earlier to Morgan as well as when a male is delivering, I'm going to call it delivering a baby because that's what he believes he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, when a versus a female delivering a baby that has, has, or hasn't had babies. When a female is your provider, there's something to be said about someone who's done this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not trying to be any, anything (laughs) here. I'm only proving a point until you have carried a baby in your body for nine months and felt every fill that there was with that pregnancy and then delivering a body, a baby through your body and filling the fills of that oxytocin and endorphins that are released as the baby is placed on your chest. Until you have felt that for yourself, I do not believe that you are going to be the person that's going to be quote unquote, delivering my baby, Mm. because I want that person to know. Okay. And understand what you're going through. Yes. And so what, what happened when the females were allowed, I truly believe that, um, there was a lot of change happening because they're like, well, what if this, you know? Yeah. And even though the two doctors that I just mentioned are both males, Mm -hmm. The only reason why they got published is because they were male. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they were the ones that were the authority figures. Right. So, um, but yeah, through the last 20 years, a lot has been said about, Hey, we actually, let's try this. So studies have been going on, um, to, you know, they would do full on studies that would say, okay, only use a pediatriotomy and forceps and mm-hmm. on these 50 women and on these 50 women do everything you can to not use those instruments mm-hmm. and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And through these studies over the years, and it takes years and years and years right. for these studies to actually even come about, then these studies go, oh, okay, actually we had such better outcomes in the 50 that you did not use these instruments mm-hmm. and not only in the actual delivery, but in their recovery. Mm -hmm. So then they started teaching, Hey, you don't need to use that as much. Mm -hmm. So let's back off on those things. There's a time and a place for them, but not on every single woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even 25 years ago, well, actually 28 years ago. And then 25 years ago, when I was delivering in the hospital, my female OB cut episiotomies on me before my baby was even crowning because that was that practice. Was practice. Yeah. yeah. That's just what, what you, you did. do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, w- w- what are you going to do? <laughs> well, know? it's crazy that the, the reason that we're doing these things, it goes back to like the twilight sleep mm-hmm. period where these women are so drugged up that they cannot push their baby out. Mm-hmm. So we have to make the birth canal wider Mm -hmm. and then fast forward into whatever other time we're still doing episiotomies regularly Mm -hmm. we didn't stop to ask if we should do that anymore right we're not doing the thing that caused the problem anymore but we're still doing the solution to the problem it's just kind of weird well 
in both of my deliveries, I did have an epidural anesthesia. Okay. And so uh, specifically with my first one, I had been pushing for two and a half hours and that's when the forceps came out and the scissors Mm. to make this delivery happen. Mm. And so, you know, they were still using these things because most women are very medicated. Yeah. And even back then I didn't walk for about 12 hours after I was still in a wheelchair for about 12 hours after that first epidural, like I said, 28 years ago, but, um, man, that stuff hung on. Yeah. Where, um, today, I mean, women are up into the bathroom within an hour and a half to two hours Mm -hmm. after birthing with an epidural. Cause they're doing it different. Yeah. So yeah, things are changing, but what we're trying to point out, it's a very, very slow scale and women are, can be the ones to change that, mm-hmm. you know, the ones walking in there, hiring these people and saying, you will not be doing A, B and C on me just mm-hmm. so you know. Mm-hmm. And if you think that you are, I'm going somewhere else mm-hmm. because I'll find someone else. Cause I'm hiring you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, that, that is definitely changing as well. Mm-hmm. So, but with that being said, ladies, just be aware, like there are going to be some doctors that say, no, I know what's best. Mm-hmm. And because of their white coat, um, depending on how brave we are or how much yeah. guts we have that day, you know, we're probably going to bow down. Yeah. You know, I have a specific situation happening with a, a past client of mine that, um, I was able to help her in her first birth and she did end up with an epidural, but we got a vaginal birth and then she got pregnant with twins mm. and because of complications, they had to be born cesarean which is very common for twins these Mm -hmm. days one of them was breached so they don't even try they just go to the or i mean it was scheduled and so she didn't even go into labor with those ones but now is pregnant with baby number four her third pregnancy and she lives up north now so you know i can't help her as much but i'm still trying but Mm. um she's due next month and She's, she said at first they were going to be totally fine with me doing a VBAC, but now I'm getting so much pushback and they're just recommending me. No, I just need to do a C-section. And, yeah. and I, 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 I mean, I could redo the text, but I told her, no, stand in your power. Mm-hmm. You are a prime candidate for vaginal birth. You've already had a vaginal birth. The reason why you had a C-section was only because you had a twin that was breached. Right. There was no medical reason in your body that you couldn't deliver a baby vaginally. So this makes her a prime candidate, but because the doctors bless their hearts, don't want to deal with a woman in labor for a long period of time versus just scheduling Monday morning at 8am and get it done in a half an hour and be done with that client onto the next. I understand that. Yeah. But I'm still going to be on the side of the woman because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And I want all of my choices. Mm-hmm. So stop trying to take my choices away mm-hmm. by bullying me or using scare tactics, mm-hmm. t- scare tactics by saying, well, the percentage of you still having a C-section. Well, fine. I'm ready to take that, but you are definitely going to give me a trial of labor first. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let my body go into labor on my own so that my body gets all of the benefits of labor and that my baby is ready to come into the world before we decide to cut him out. Because, Hey, by the way, there are benefits. Yes, there are to labor. So yes, it, and it is just about understanding that because you can't stand up for yourself if you don't understand. Exactly. And she has a very good understanding because she took my class yeah, five or so years ago and I was her doula. 
And then, of course, with the twins, you know, and now she's pregnant with this baby and she's like, wait a minute, you know. So it's like, when when are we going to give our control away and how much do we want to stand up to the business, you know? I think that this is all coming back in my mind, bringing me back to Ina Bay mm -hmm. because her statistics for uh, C-sections were very low. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, it's just interesting to compare the two. Right. Um, so bring, bring us back to Ina Mae. Tell me okay. a little bit more about her and what year that was happening in again, if you'll remind us. Well, she, she published Spiritual Midwifery in 1977. Okay. So she had been doing this for quite some time. Yep. Probably at least 10 years, mm -hmm. if not 20. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the specifics of that, so I don't want to say, but obviously if she's been published, she's been doing it for a while. Yeah. But one of her studies that Morgan's referring to is like on the farm, it was like birth number 264 that they had to transfer in for a C-section. That was the first. The first C-section that sh they had on the farm was 264. It was around, I think it was like 180 something. Okay. And then, but that was the first one that they ever needed to, right. to have a C-section. And then their second C-section was around 300 and something. Yeah. To make the point that it, it's it's directly in comparison to the statistics of C-sections that were happening in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I want to say was one in five. Please don't quote me on that. But right. it was it was high mm -hmm. compared to one in 180. Right. And then one in we're in single digits and nowadays we're in one in three right. and it just makes you go, well, why, right? What's going on? And the very obvious difference is the way that they're doing things. And we are so grateful for C-sections, right? Of course. We're so grateful that that is saving lives mm -hmm. these days. Again, though, we just sometimes need to ask ourselves if, if the pendulum has swung too far. Right. Well, and I think that's why we're doing this episode. Yes. Because we believe it has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Be, and I that was, wasn't clear. Uh, right. <laughs> we definitely believe it has. Um, and we're just trying to take this control back, you yeah. know, and helping, giving women the confidence to take this control back and say, actually, no. I want to make I'm my choices. to try this. Please mm -hmm. let me try this. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was in the hospital a few nights ago. I was there for about a 12 hour period. And within that period, there were four C-sections that happened in a 12 hour period. Wow. And they were, they weren't scheduled C-sections. These were all in the middle of the night. They don't schedule those in the middle of the night. Those are at 8 AM. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking, what is happening? Yeah. What's happening here? There was not that many women in the hospital that night, mm. but what is happening that's making these C-sections continue. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I don't know the story. We I wish speculate I for we days. Definitely could speculate, but this is why birth is so sketchy <laughs> because of the opinions. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure talking to each one of those C-sections that happened that night, I probably would have been like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I understand why you had to go back, but it always brings back the question. Why? Yeah. Why did it happen? Was it an induction? Was she a feedback? Did she just say, I'm done. I want to have mm -hmm. a C-section. Um, how much education did she have? Mm -hmm. What was her doctor telling her? Where, 
Did she have gestational diabetes? Yeah. What was her body mass index? What was you the know? support like from the staff? Right. Were they really supportive or were mm-hmm. they supportive, you know, verbally, but not emotionally? Because mm-hmm. you can feel when something's off. There's so many things that could have thrown the outcome toward that C-section right. that it's impossible to try to, to try to guess. But what we do know is that having four C-sections in 12 hours is quite different than the experience that women are having when they're having their babies at home. Right. Right. And there's, it's worth asking why it's worth considering Mm -hmm. the the consequences of the choices that we're making. Mm -hmm. It's worth considering if nothing else. Well, yeah, we're just asking the question, but The question, how we're going to answer it, how I've always answered this question Mm -hmm. is education. Yeah. And until a woman knows all of her choices, she is not making an educated decision. Mm -hmm. She truly does not know what informed consent means. And that's why I've stayed in the path that I've started out Mm -hmm. on 16 years ago. And that is in teaching. Right. You know, I'm teaching young couples about childbirth and all of their options specifically how to navigate the hospital Mm -hmm. and why they do what they do so that we have an understanding and not like a a hatred toward yeah because I don't I get it yeah I am over there a lot and I get it yeah you know I get an induction is so much easier for a doctor because they'll they're not going to send someone in for an induction unless there's a medical reason Mm -hmm. on the weekend they Mm -hmm. will not it's only during the week that you'll be called in for elective induction. And that is on their work week. That's when they're on call. Um, they get to monitor you the entire time because when any medication is put into your body, you have to be monitored. Mm-hmm. So they know exactly what's going on in your body. Well, not exactly, but <laughs> for the most part, they know that they have a pretty good grip on the whole situation. Mm-hmm. They want to manage your labor. It's so much easier to manage a labor than to just watch a woman go through a physiological birth process. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, I wonder what's happening. Well, in my opinion, it's way easier for me to watch a physiological birth because that's what I'm more comfortable with. Yeah. But they're not. Yeah. They rarely have seen that mm-hmm. in their practices. It's not taught in school. No. Medicine is taught. It, managing labor is taught mm-hmm. in their school. Pathology is taught. Right. And the nurses as well. Mm-hmm. They rarely see a woman walk in in labor and have a, a baby naturally. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so they're not very comfortable with it. It's mm-hmm. like me walking into a very medicated birth. You would not be as comfortable. I'm not comfortable at all. Right. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I don't want to move the monitor in the wrong way or yeah. bump her IV or possibly, you know, make a machine not work in case yep. I'm the problem, you know? Yep. So so I understand it because yeah. I see the other side. So coming back to that pendulum <laughs> swinging, yeah. I do definitely try to be there some in, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I try to understand as much as I possibly can about the medicine yeah. and, um, and how it works and, you know, my own studies on it, you mm-hmm. know, like basically, but man, if there's any way I can get my client to stay away from it, I'm going to, because it just makes for a way less complicated delivery. Mm-hmm. So So we're discussing this swinging of the pendulum and it feels like it was around maybe 
the late 1970s, like when Ina May published her book, um, that we're starting to get things swinging maybe back towards the middle, or at least we have some people that are starting to ask some questions. For sure. And since then, we have, we've gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. at, at managing things and maybe not intervening in such maybe dangerous ways, if that's appropriate to say. So through like the eighties, when was the epidurals started? That was in the eighties, right? I actually found something that said in the 1970s where epidurals gained popularity. Okay. So, but I don't think they were widely spread, but by the eighties they were definitely happening in every hospital. And we've got, We've or, got or spinal block. Sorry, there was a spinal oh, block, yeah. and then there was also the epidural. So, they were using like my mom would always talk about the spinal block, and that's mm-hmm. what she got. So she was birthing in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. and then by the time you know the eighties and nineties came along, it was more epidural mm-hmm. because it was a more sustainable way. Um, a spinal block was just one shot in the back that would just totally numb you, like numb, dead leg numb, for hours. Where an epidural is, um, you know, they insert a small tube into your spinal column and that is continuously dripping the medication. So epidurals can definitely be controlled a lot more than a spinal. Mm -hmm. So if you're going in for an uh, elective C-section, you get a spinal because it wears off quicker. Mm -hmm. It's a quick numb Mm -hmm. where an epidural is more over time and you can adjust it. You can turn it off. You know, you can pull it out if you want. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a more, um, quote unquote manageable way to make you numb. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's where we're at. And as things keep progressing, we have, okay, now we have, we've moved on from spinal blocks to epidurals. And mm-hmm. then we've moved on from epidurals where you can't walk for 12 hours mm-hmm. to now you can walk in an hour from now. And mm-hmm. obviously we're like speeding through like 20 years of history, yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the point to be made. I think is that since all of these things started happening where the society is continually trying, trying, trying to make it better. Mm-hmm. I think that again, it's important to stop and ask and pay attention. Are we making things better? Right. Are we f- chucking that pendulum back to the other side? Are we landing somewhere in the middle and the middle's where we want to be? Mm-hmm. And that's our purpose right. here is to help, help land in the middle. And the way to do that is to, Inform people because right. again, women are the ones in control if we take it. Right. You have to be in your power. You have to step into your power and you have to choose to be in control. Right. And I think that this needs to definitely be said in early 2000, um, the C-section rates were not near where they are today. It was more like one in five. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this definitely needs to be said. We don't know the exact date that induction started happening. Mm-hmm. There was always some sort, I mean, even in the 1800s, they were talking about medicine that yeah. they gave to help speed up labor, right? Yeah. So this Pitocin drug became a thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And they figured out how to fully manage someone's labor with Pitocin mm-hmm. and have a continuous, very readable labor pattern yeah. with a woman with Pitocin. But Pitocin is so harsh that they needed an epidural with this Pitocin because right. it was just like putting jet fuel in a Toyota. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've heard that said before, so I thought that was accurate. That's a pretty good metaphor. It is. And so a woman that's feeling that type of labor is going to say, give me the epidural. Oh, yeah. ASAP. 
And so it, and then that story gets passed on. Yes. And the part of the story, it, we don't say, oh, I, I had Pitocin and so I had to get an epidural. Mm -hmm. You say my contractions were insane. Mm -hmm. It was the most crazy thing that's ever happened. The most painful thing that's Mm -hmm. ever happened. And we're not, we're not forwarding the narrative of, oh, and by the way, part of that had to do with the Pitocin. Right. No, we're not just the pain. We're just talking about the pain. No, we're just spreading the narrative of this is hard and it sucks Mm -hmm. and it's painful. Right. We're in a physiological birth pattern. The only thing giving you contractions is oxytocin and your brain. If you listen to our oxytocin, oxytocin episode, it helps you understand how it works and why it works and how it can slow down. If your body needs a break, Mm -hmm. Pitocin, there's no such thing as slowing down. They're only upping it for you. Yeah. And so, um, but when we look at the C-section rate today, one in three, there has to be some reason why. Yeah. And that's the only reason I can come up with. It's the only line that makes sense to draw. Right. It is because in this managing of women's bodies, sometimes mother nature doesn't want to be managed. Yeah. And so our body or our baby's body says, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. And then we are heading back to the OR real quick Yeah, to make sure we have a live mom and a live baby. Mm -hmm. And that's a really harsh statement to say, but, um, you know, it's only the evidence is showing. Yeah. The more induction that is happening, the more C-section is happening. It's a harsh statement to make, but it's a harsh truth to that exists also. Right. So yeah, ladies, if there is a bottom line here, stay away from the medicine that causes contractions and that's Pitocin for as long as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a vaginal birth. Yeah. Um, because uh, I know that some women are not able to have vaginal births. I do know that and I'm not taking that away from them, but for the 95% of the population that can Mm -hmm. ladies, your body needs this. Mm -hmm. Instead, there's physiological things that happens in your body that need to happen. If at all possible, please let them happen. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Thank you for, thank you for doing so much research for us to be able to talk about this. We could do another episode. We really could. Like you guys have no (laughs) idea how many, how many papers of (laughs) uh, notes that we're leaving out, but we're just trying to get, um, you know, the surface level information out, if nothing else, like there is so, so, so much to be said about the history that has led us to where we're at today. And I mentioned this earlier, but go ahead and check our show notes. If you want to dig deeper, we're going to share our resources with you so that you can go ahead and dig deeper because again, I cannot stress this enough. There is so much information, so much information. And then once again, it's worth mentioning that the business of being born is an amazing documentary that shares a lot of good information. And it's really good too, not just because it's informational, but it's empowering. And information is a helpful tool to empower you. Go ahead and go check that out. Again, check our show notes for the link to go over there. And you can use the code birth village to watch these documentaries for free. 
I can't even say how cool it is that they are willing to share this code with us for you guys mm -hmm. all to watch it for free. So anyways, yeah, please go check that out. It's awesome. If nothing, I mean, Trisha already told us that she recommends it to all of her clients yeah. to watch. So Everyone. that should be a pretty good vouch for that. Any, do you have anything to say to wrap us up? You already kind of gave your final. Yeah. I think I just will say the bottom line here, and I've just reiterating it because I've said it a few times already in this episode, is this is your body. This is your experience. You deserve to have anything you want, whether that is scheduling that C-section or having a home birth with little to no intervening, like hands-off midwife. This is your story, so you choose. But before you choose, please do the research so that you can make an educated decision mm -hmm. and not one based off of fear because yep. there's so much fear here. I'm I'm afraid. <laughs> You're afraid of the fear. I'm afraid of the fear. Honestly, me too. Yeah. It's such it's such a large thing to tackle, but what I tell my clients all the time, listen to only positive about birth. If someone comes up to you and wants to tell you a story, cut them off and say, "Does it have a positive ending?" Cuz if it doesn't, I don't want to hear it. Mm. We do not need to read the negative. We do not need to hear the statistics that your doctor might tell you about a VBAC or whatever. Yeah. We need to fill, we need to replace the fear with knowledge. And that is only through research, mm -hmm. continual research. Mm -hmm. So keep, keep doing the work ladies because you deserve it. Mm -hmm. Your body deserves it. And so does your baby. Mm -hmm. And you will be bonded with this baby in such a different way. If you put the work in mm -hmm. that, and I can say that because I did it both ways. Yeah. And my, I have adult grown people in my life that I birthed through my body in very different ways. And I will tell you firsthand the relationship that I have with those babies that were born in my home. I can't even compare. And my children know that. Mm. And they deserve to know. Yeah. And I apologize all the time. And I'm trying to make my relationships better. Of course, I'm not just playing like, well, it's because you're my home birther. You know, I'm not just like throwing it out there. I'm life is about continually trying new things and figuring things out and improving. But man, if we can just start it out mm -hmm. the way that um, is just way more successful in that relationship, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. We spend lots and lots of effort and attention into preparing uh the color of the nursery and right. the clothes that they're going to wear and the theme of the baby shower and we can definitely put a lot more attention and priority on educating yourself so that you are in control and that you can make your decisions and um hopefully we're a beneficial resource for you to be able to do that that's all we hope for yes Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting us. As always, thank you to the Southern Utah Birth Village for all of their support. Thanks, Trisha, for all of your studies. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thanks for leaving those ratings and reviews. Thanks for 
telling your friends about us. It's um, It's been a really great time and we're excited to continue forward with this podcast. And with that, we will leave you with this message. Empowered women empower women.